And if you watch this later, listen to this later, then we welcome you at all times. But uh, tonight we're going to launch into a, a new series. This is actually a series I was going to launch. We, we advertised it and everything um, on, on my, my wife, my and I's anniversary, which we celebrated by me getting a positive COVID test. And so, um, so yeah, so this, this series just like got bumped back and then we went into the Christmas season. I just didn't feel the right time to do this. And uh, then I felt it was right. And so we launched into it. I sent them this um, late last week or early this week. I don't even remember. Um, but it's very timely. Wow, God just knows what he's doing. Imagine that. God knows what he's doing. And so this has been prepared for since November 4th. And, uh, and we just get to break this out now. And God just knew what needed to be said tonight. Jesus called us to be disciples. But he also called us to make disciples. And so you have to allow someone to disciple you. But then you can't just be like the Dead Sea and consume it all and say, well, bless God. 15, 20, 30, 40 years I've been going to this church. Bless God. Oh, man, God's good, and I've been fed such rich meals. Okay, well, it's time to prepare some meals to make disciples, to be able to look at someone and say, follow me like I follow Christ. And uh, I would say that Jesus Christ was the greatest disciple maker in human history. He found men from every walk of life and experience, and he called them to follow him. And he invested so, so very much in them. And the book of Matthew takes us through Jesus' birth and the launch of his ministry. Uh, Matthew introduces us to John the Baptist, who then introduces us to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And, and after his baptism, Jesus heads into the wilderness to go on a 40-day fast. See, you thought the three-day quarterly fasts I called were bad. We're calling a 40-day fast to start the year. Don't, no, I'm kidding. Sit down. I encourage it, but just know what you're doing. Uh, or you could kill yourself if you didn't know, seriously. But he withstands temptation in the wilderness on this 40-day fast. And he defeats the devil. And how does he defeat the, def defeat the devil? He defeats the devil by quoting the word and resisting the devil. The devil flees. Imagine that. James talks about that. And so... He, he begins to quote the word, which is another thing about the power of the word. If you missed the, the Wednesday night message on the word became flesh, go back and listen to that. We need the word because now, now we had a great altar call that night, but now is where you should be putting it into practice. So if you just enjoyed the word became flesh and you haven't put the practical things into, into application, go back and listen to it because now is the time where we should be getting in the word. And so, but we see that he withstands temptation, quotes the word, and then we see Jesus call his first disciples in Matthew 4, 18. And at that point, crowds begin to follow him. So now we're into the fourth chapter of Matthew. And as the crowds start following, one of the, th one of the very first things we see Jesus start doing is teaching. That doesn't sound very exciting you know like they gather around and 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 now he let's start the sermon on the mount and let's start talking about teaching life principles it's just man i followed jesus i was you know let's start with the signs and the wonders and the miracles let's let's start with walking on water let's start with preaching and 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 five loaves and two fish and, and just feeding thousands of people let's start with the good stuff 
But Jesus looks and he starts teaching. I wouldn't even say, we, I don't even think, if I'm, if I'm reading Matthew 5 to 7, which is where we're going to be spending our time these next few weeks, I wouldn't even consider it, I wouldn't even say that he was preaching. <laughs> he was just teaching, like probably the messages that children go to sleep under the pews on. There's a couple people in the church, I'll never use names because Lord knows who watches this, but there's a few people on Wednesday nights when they would teach at our church growing up, I was like, oh, you know, and just like, oh, because they would just get up and discuss the word and you just, wow, I, mean, I had school and it was just tiring. That's why I try and raise my voice and jump around and keep you entertained a little bit while... Especially with the live stream, I'm competing against comfy couches and smell of dinner in the other room for people that couldn't make it. The crowds, they start following him and he starts teaching. The teaching ministry of the church is so crucial. Why do you think we have deeper waters? There's a lot of different reasons. But it's not just because I'm like, well, you know, James Chester got his license, and we just got to give him a chance to address everybody. No. Because the things that he taught, he did a great job Sunday. If you missed it, if you're not listening and tuning in to Deeper Waters, you're missing it. But these are 20-minute segments that we, the kids are being taught downstairs, youth are being taught Adults are being taught, just, just we dive deeper into a, a concept, a passage of scripture, and so we look at that, and we dive deep. And even today, tonight, principles for life, life principles, there's times I'll raise my voice and preach, but a lot of times, this is, this is the teaching where we take this and we say, how do I develop into the man or woman that Jesus Christ is calling me to be? Sunday is, is awesome, and there's times where we're going to shout like we did a couple weeks ago. My voice still hasn't re, re, my voice still has not gotten back to normal from two Sundays ago when I shouted almost half my message. And there's times we'll do that, and then we'll respond at an altar, and we're encouraged, and whoa. But we can't have just the preaching without the teaching. And in, in churches across America, the challenge for pastors and leaders in every church denomination is... How do you accommodate the demands of current culture, who's used to just little 12-second video clips scrolling through news feeds, to where we have to, to address things in Scripture and present them in such a way that it will have an impact in society? Believe me, I could teach for three hours straight, and I know that you know that. But I know that, don't say amen, let's just move on. And I know that you know that, but that, that is not going to be effective in trying to reach a society that's not used to sitting and listening to a lecture for three hours. So how do, we, how do we understand what the culture is, but yet still try to instill godly principles? Well, then we cut service, we cut, make services shorter, but, but then people can come in and out in 50 minutes. You know, it's like a, like a three-credit class, three times a week, 50 minutes, you're in and out. Where's the teaching ministry? Because you got worship and you have, you have preaching. And 
but we need teaching. And so we're intentional here about what we do with the children on schedules where they can have a taste of leading in kid, on, on Family Wednesday and they can do a kid's choir where they sing and they can be up here for portions of worship and they have their own children's church where they can respond at an altar. And then they have Principles for Life for Kids, really it's Kingdom uh, Rock Academy, where they have structured life teaching for children because we're intentional about the teaching ministry of the church. Where are we if we just always have great responses and encouragement without teaching? And so, Jesus, I feel like we're patterning ourselves after Jesus Christ because Jesus was passionate about teaching. So here we go. He, he goes in Matthew 5, and it says, One day he saw the crowds gathering, and he went up to the mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples gathered around them, and he began to encourage them, preach to them, do signs, wonders, miracles. No, no, the first time that we're reading about these crowds gathering, it just happens at the end of chapter 4 of Matthew 4. We go into 5, and he says, all right, everybody sit down. I'm, I'm getting ready to teach. Getting ready to teach. And he launches into a lengthy discourse all about Christian living. Jesus was often called rabbi, which is Hebrew. It's just my teacher. Rabbi, my teacher. And so... Teaching was so vital, he understood the value of teaching disciples, and that's why even at Refuge Church, too, we, we emphasize be a Paul, pursue a Barnabas, train a Timothy, because uh, this is, there's expectations here. If, 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 if you say, this is my church, I'm going to come here, you know, you can only sit on a pew for so long before we start saying, hey, what are you passionate about? Why? Because we want you to serve. Because serving says instead of that's a church I go to, it becomes my church. But it's not just serving internally. It's we want you to make disciples, to, to be able to come alongside someone. And I can't really make, I'm not effective in making disciples standing in a pulpit. You look at the way Jesus made disciples, made disciples. He did not say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll meet you back here Sunday at 10 a.m. It was just travel and random daily conversations. And, hey, you see that tree? Hey, look at that field. What does that mean? Well, let me, t let me talk to you. Let me tell you. Sometimes that's two in the morning conversations. I'm struggling right now. Sometimes that kid's like, can I stop by your house? You want to grab a cup of coffee? I got some questions. I was reading the Bible. Hey, you got a second to text me back here. I've been looking into something. And I just, I, I, want, to I want to dive into this a little deeper. Making disciples. And so we want to see people make disciples. Be a disciple, make a disciple. And that's why teaching. You'll hear us say, Brother Randy Nelson on Sunday, we called him up because at our church we have structured levels of teaching. I hate to say levels because that insinuates higher and lower, but I'm just saying a depth. There is a Bible study that's 10 sessions long, one time a week for 45, 50 minutes. And we encourage every single person to go through it. It's not the doctrine of refuge church and Pentecostalism and being a member of the UPCI. It's not, it's not a catechism. It's simply, what does the Bible say about my life and God's plan for my life? And at the very least, at least you can get through it and go, okay, I know what this church teaches and preaches and why, because it's in Scripture. But then when you complete that, there's a 15 lesson on a course on now what? You get done with the Bible study, you've experienced salvation, God showed you things, you're like, what do I do now? 
And so there's lifestyle teaching, and, and there's four categories about the basics, church and family, and it talks about the, the, uh, what people see. And there's, there's things that where it's broken into these categories where you go in and you say, okay, scripturally, how do I live an effective life for Jesus Christ moving forward? So if you're here or you're watching online and you have not yet completed a Bible study or that discipleship course, don't wait. We can work around your schedule. We have people that are trained and certified how to teach this. We recorded it. We could give you digital links. Um, but yeah, you want to go through this because teaching is so crucial. They structured teaching and training, the, the structured teaching and training, I'm sorry, from scripture is actually where Jesus starts with his followers. They begin in Matthew 5 with what most people today know as the Sermon on the Mount. And more specifically, the very first part of Matthew 5, where the Sermon on the Mount starts, you got the Sermon on the Mount, and then the first part of the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes. And now, chances are, if, there, if you've been around any religious circles at all, you've probably heard the terminology, the Beatitudes. But I think a lot of people, if we say, well, what's the Beatitudes? Can you quote them? What are they? What do they mean? Sometimes we're like, uh, Jesus spoke them? I'm not really sure. Well, this is where he starts. The Sermon on the Mount starts, calls the people together, and he starts to teach them. And he starts on the Sermon. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with the Beatitudes. Now, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest continuous discourse of Jesus found in the entire New Testament. That's interesting. The longest discourse from Christ in the New Testament, right here. It's his first recorded message to followers in the Gospels. It's filled with principles for life, specifically for Christian living. Just a few things we're going to look at over the next several weeks. Anger. Adultery, divorce, vows, revenge, loving enemies, giving to the needy, prayer and the Lord's Prayer, money and possessions, worrying, judging, bearing fruit, and building solid foundation. I, I, I would say that that is the epitome of principles for life. And that's where Jesus starts with his followers. The overall theme of that Sermon on the Mount is Messiah's call to righteousness. And I'll give you a warning because we're going to start getting into things. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to pull out that phone and, and take digital notes or write pen and paper, whatever you want to do, because I'm going to give you some, some things from the Beatitudes here shortly. But Jesus wanted all of his disciples to live a righteous life. And guess what? 2021, he still wants all of his disciples to live a righteous life. There is an expectation that he has for us to live righteous. And so he sits down, begins to teach scripture, talk scripture. And the place he starts, the Beatitudes, is a term derived from a Latin word that just means blessedness. Blessed is translated from both Hebrew and Greek words to refer to divine favor conveyed to humankind. I want divine favor. I know I'm going to spend eternity with Christ, and I know this world's not my home. But as long as I need to be here, I'd really like to have divine favor. I don't just define that as material wealth or blessings. I'm talking about divine favor of God's hand upon my life, God's hedge of protection upon my children, God touching our minds, God anointing ministry. That, I view all that as God's favor. 
And so the formal utterance, happy is or blessed is, is a common declaration. We find it in Psalms 26 times, Proverbs 8 times, happy is, blessed is. There's principles of life there. These are beatitudes that are pronounced upon a person who is living righteous or having faith or putting hope in God. They are signs of life in proximity to Yahweh and in the love and favor of God. So, so let's look at where he starts, and he starts to give these beatitudes. Everybody sit down. I've called you now. The crowds have gathered. Here's where we're starting. I'm going to teach you some things before we do anything else is what he says. And he starts. God blesses, I know, so if you know this, is going to irritate you because I'm reading New Living Translation. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of God is theirs. That's an interesting opening line. In many periods of world history, including our own, the gospel has spread fastest among those who had the fewest possessions. Few possessions to stand in the way of wholehearted commitment to God. Could it be, I mean, possibly, could it be that the kingdom of heaven is not ours more often because we just have too much stuff to distract us from it regularly? Could it be that even if you're here arguing, I'm the least blessed person here. Let me tell you about my difficulties, my lack of pay, my living conditions, whatever that is you're watching online here tonight. You can make that argument. But even you making the argument, whoever you are, are richer than almost everyone else in the world. And is it possible that the kingdom of heaven is not ours more frequently because we just have so much stuff that distracts us. Poor in spirit appears to refer to the acknowledgments of, of one's spiritual powerlessness and bankruptcy apart from Christ. The poor is not necessarily physically poor. It's not like, man, I got to be poor in order to have God. It's not what he's saying, but he was saying that that, that isn't what makes the kingdom theirs. It's realizing their need for him. It's realizing their need for him that I, it doesn't matter what else comes into my life. I have the same need today as I did when my wife and I were walking through Walmart with a calculator and having to put certain groceries back on the shelf because we we're on such a strict budget. So the need doesn't change based on the paycheck or the amount in the bank or it doesn't change, no matter where we are in life, where we say, God, I'm poor in spirit. I, I need you today just as much as I've ever needed you before in my life. It's realizing our need for him. What, a, what an amazing place to start. For Jesus, who just called disciples, these were a group of men who, for the most part, they did not have money. They did not have power. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They're like, you got the right group, Jesus. I'm him. But Jesus starts with this very thing, and he says, you better realize, first sentence, you better realize no matter where life takes you, you need me. 
First lesson. I'm getting ready to teach the lengthiest discord in the whole New Testament. But no matter where we go, the poor in spirit, you better realize you need me. And then he says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is most likely the people who lamented the spiritual and, and the national condition of Israel. They were, they were not only under Roman rule, but many had also turned from trusting in the one true God. And Jesus starts by talking about mourning over their current situation. But then he tells them, hey, but you'll be comforted. Well, well how? Guess how? How are you going to be comforted? You're mourning now, but you will be comforted. How? Well, in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to be comforted by the comforter, which is to say, John 14, 26, which is to say the Holy Ghost. He identifies the Holy Ghost as the comforter. And so he lets them know, could it be, he's saying, you're mourning now. But there's going to be a rest. There's going to be a refreshing that Joel prophesied about, but they wouldn't hear. And the Sabbath was a day of rest back then. But Jesus says, you're forgetting. You're thinking that the Sabbath was made for man. The man was made for the Sabbath. He starts explaining this. He's basically, the Sabbath was pointing to the fact that one day he was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And that was going to bring a rest. In the midst of everything and the chaos and everything going on. And so he says, hey, you mourn, you're going to be comforted. Comforted by what? By the comforter. And the New Testament talks about it so many times. The comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Could it be that David was prophesying in Psalm 30 when he was writing his lament about mourning? And he says, all of a sudden, he's sitting there writing his psalm all about mourning, 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 mourning. I'm mourning, I'm mourning. And all of a sudden, he just, you see him shift. And all of a sudden, he says, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have turned my sorrow into joy. That was a prophetic word. I wholeheartedly believe that when you read David's laments and his prophecy, he prophesied so many times about Jesus, about Christ, about what was coming. And he writes, but, but Lord, I, I, here's my lament. Here's all the things I'm going through. But you have turned my mourning into dancing. How does something like that happen? Well, Jesus lets them know, although they're mourning now, the comforter's coming. And when you are filled with the Spirit of God Almighty, that brings a refreshing and a peace to your soul like nothing else can bring. And then he says to them, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. This is, again... This is a direct quote from David in Psalm 37, 11. Jesus wasn't coming, doing anything different. That, that, the law, the writings, the prophets, here's one thing you will need to understand is the whole book hinges on Jesus Christ. That's why sometimes people, Pentecostals, you're Jesus only. I'm like, no, I'm Jesus everything. Just because the scripture is Jesus everything. And so... He, he literally quotes from David, and God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus was calling his, his disciples to do great things. At one point, he even says to them, greater things than these. I mean, they think about what they saw Jesus do. And he says, greater things than these will you do. I mean, how many of you would love to be a part of doing something greater than even the things Jesus Christ did? There's five of us would. I, I, so... 
We would like that. But I've seen a lot of people who've been a part of some really powerful things fall. Because if you've done anything in ministry at all, whether it's teaching children, preaching, teaching a Bible study, singing a song, where you have felt the anointing of God, that moment where you're saying something and you feel something supernatural just begin to surge through you as you say a word and you just feel and you see the response of people and you feel God, literally God speaking through you, singing through you, teaching. I mean, you're doing it, but you're feeling God's divine power and authority in your life. That if we're not careful, we start to think, look at what, what I did, all the miracles that I've done. I've prayed thousands of people through the Holy Ghost. I have I have preached this, I have done this, I have done that. And Jesus is looking at his disciples, greater things than these that you're getting ready to do, but just remember, God is going to bless those who are humble, and those are the people who will inherit the earth. Because the minute, what does Galatians say? If a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And this is the type of topic that we all think of someone else. And if you immediately start thinking of someone else, that's arrogance in itself. Because even the Apostle Paul says, I need to take heed, lest I myself be a castaway. You're like, Paul, come on, you ain't going to be the castaway. But he knew, I need to guard my heart and my mind, lest I think everybody else is dealing with this, and then I'm the castaway. And so right off the bat, I, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing, but I need to remember, I need you. I can't. Not one thing that happens, that when something supernatural happens, find a place and begin to give God glory. And don't ever, even little things, okay? You will never hear, I don't think you've ever heard me say this. It's a small thing. It's not a sin, and people do it all the time. This is just a personal pet peeve. You will not hear me say in my ministry. In my ministry, uh, you know, when I started my ministry, it's not mine. This is God's ministry, and I get to be a part being the vessel. And when you keep that in mind, supernatural things can begin to flow through you. And when people come up, oh, you're great, you're amazing, you did this, oh, you're incredible, you're God, you're... And people say nice things, you can say, wow, thank you. And you walk away and know, that person is just feeling Jesus. And they're associating you with the creator. And so you begin to get glory, but if you're not quick to give that glory to him, it's a matter of time before you fall. It's a matter of time before I fall. So we have to know we have a level head. I want to be a part of the supernatural things, but in no, not for one minute do I want to think, oh, this is me. Let me tell you about my ministry. No. It's God. It's always him. 
And he wanted his disciples to be like him. And Jesus, you know, he was not out to overthrow the Romans. He resisted when people tried to make him king. He knew this, his kingdom was not of this world. And neither is ours. And he tried to enforce that with them over and over again. Your kingdom, don't worry about this. Don't take your possessions. I'm going to provide for you. Don't have to stress. This world is not your home. Put me first. I'll take care of everything else. There's no need to worry about overthrowing Rome and taking over Jerusalem when eventually the whole earth is going to be yours anyway. I'll just have you pause right now. And have you think about what's going on in society right now. And I will repeat, there's no need to worry about overthrowing Rome and taking over Jerusalem when eventually the whole earth is going to be yours anyway. So it does not matter if you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party, uh, unidentified. It doesn't matter what you are. If your hope is in who's in office and who controls Senate and who controls Congress and all this stuff. And I vote and I think it's important and I think it's great. But at the end of the day, there should never be violence on any side. It does not matter who is in or who is out. Because to me... I say, huh, interesting. Oh, that said, my heart breaks for the state of the nation and what I'm seeing. But I do not, oh, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I'm stressed out. I say, Lord, come quickly. We're ready when you are. Because I see new Jerusalem descending, and, 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 and I'm going to rule and reign with him in the thousand-year millennium. And he's going to come back, and we're going to walk on streets of gold, and we're, we're going to forever be with him. And, and there'll be no more crying, no more dying, no more pain, no more sorrow. This here, I have a mission and I've been called by God, but this is not where I'm going to be forever. And he says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Justice here is, is also righteousness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. There, this is a desire to see God's standards established and obeyed in every area of life. And God promised that his purposes will be accomplished and that justice will eventually reign. Righteousness. And God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. How many of you watching online here tonight? There's been a time recently, just in the last 12 months of your life, that you just needed mercy. You needed mercy from a spouse, an employer. Needed mercy from God Almighty because you sinned directly against him. I can tell you there have been multiple times in 12 months. I am I'm well accustomed to mercy and I wish it was because I gave it out so freely and I hope I do but it's probably more because of how much I need it Peter lets him down and denies him and Jesus goes and finds him and says Peter feed my sheep the adulterous woman is thrown at the feet of Jesus to be condemned according to the law he had every right to say why did you bring her to me kill her 
According to the law, stone her. Get her out of here. Don't need that trash around here. That's what he could have said. Instead, he says, hey, y'all never needed mercy before. Because if you're here and you've never needed mercy, go ahead and stone her. Woman, where's your accusers? Stand up. Go and sin no more. I don't know about you, but I need mercy in my life. So Jesus immediately established mercy with his followers. And so remember that. Remember how freely you give mercy because I guarantee you there will be a time in your life over these next 12 months, you're going to need it. He says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. I always find that interesting. Because when he goes to Nicodemus, he says, in order to enter the kingdom of God, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be, John 3, 5, born of the water and born of the spirit. Now, I find it so interesting. In order to enter the kingdom, you have to be born of water and spirit. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursing holiness is righteous without, no man, without which no man shall see the Lord. And this says, the pure in heart will see God. Could it be that there's a bare minimum for getting in, but there's a level of expectation and consecration that brings a different depth in eternity and where we see God. And it sounds like it's, to me, I just, this is just me. When I read enter in versus see God, that's deeper. I don't want to be a believer that's just filled with the Spirit and baptized in Jesus' name. I want to pursue holiness, internal and external. I'm not looking around to see, well, does this really matter? Is that really a heaven or hell issue? And you think this is, and I don't really see that. I say, my God, I want my whole life to reflect you. And if there's ever something that's even questionable, I'm always going to err on the side of caution. And God, I want, my, I, want, I want to make sure my heart is pure. I want to make sure that my mind is pure. You see, purity in heart refers to moral uprightness, not just ritual cleansing. The Pharisees were experts at ritual cleansing. Jesus was trying to shift the viewpoint of sin in worship. He wanted the followers to know sin is a heart issue. It's not just you killed the wrong animal on the wrong day. You mixed the two threads of a garment. You came in on the sixth day or the baby was circumcised on the ninth day instead of the eighth day. And like, he, he, that's, that, that, he was trying to see like the law was needed and it, and it pointed to the fact that, wow, even in spite of these 613 commandments, we need a savior because we still keep failing. We still keep messing up. And so that's where he says the law points to, he says, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. The law Law, this whole, all these thousands of years has been pointing to this moment. I am here to fulfill the law. But let's start by talking about not the letter of the law, but let's start by talking about the heart. And we're going to talk about that more next week. And, and he continues, and, he, and we're going to expound on this. But he, he wasn't just 
talking about washing your hands seven times a day, which we do right now. I was at the gym today, and they're like, the thing radio, come on and wash your hands and make sure you use soap and dry your hands. and wash. I'm like, I never thought I'd see the day where I'm just listening to the radio tell me to wash my hands. Like, what in the world? My mom taught me that when I was like two. It's not, it's, don't let the things get in our heart. That's why eventually he talks to us about adultery being a heart issue. That's why later he says, the Pharisees, you're whitewashed sepulchers. What does that mean? You look great on the outside, but underneath the surface, you're messed up. Do you want to see God? Is anybody online or here, do you want to see God? I want to see him. Then he tells us, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Scripture tells us out of the heart that flows the issues of life. Whether or not we see God, hear me. Whether or not we see God is going to be determined by this. What we allow into our hearts. Whether or not we see God is going to be determined by what we allow in our hearts. And so he says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. See, one of Jesus' disciples that he called was a zealot. Well, this teaching may have targeted the zealots because these were Jewish revolutionaries who advanced and who advocated the overthrow of Roman domination through violent resistance. But Jesus shows up and lets them know Messiah's kingdom is going to be established by other means. You don't, that's not the route we're taking. We see Jesus later remind Peter of this when they come to get Peter's like, <laughs> Jesus is like, I mean, could you imagine seeing this scene unfold? He's like, man, Peter, come on, dude. You caught the guy's ear off. Hang on. Could you imagine seeing that? Boy, does that send a message that pulling a sword and going to battle is not his plan. Why? Because this earth is not the end goal. He wanted us believers to establish, hear me, to establish his faith physical, his spiritual kingdom by spiritual force, not by physical force. Even today, do I vote? Absolutely. Do I say that someone should protest peacefully? That's, you're right. Praise God. We live in a free country. Am I going to storm somewhere and hurt people and go into dangerous situations no matter who's in office? Never. Never. Because to me, this is not the end goal. This is not, this is not where I'm going to be forever. And I know God rises up and God sits down. And so I read this as I prepare this. I said, man, the timing of this message. Jesus is quick to let us know there's going to be persecution. He goes through all these beatitudes and he brings it to a close by verse 10. He says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of God is theirs. 
kingdom of heaven is theirs. And I wonder how many of us say, hey, guys, I just wanted to see who's going to sign on the dotted line tonight to be a part of this because we're going to keep advancing the kingdom, but persecution starts next Friday. Boy, we'd see our numbers drop. Why? How do I know that? It's not prophetic. It's just common sense. It's in the word. Jesus saw his numbers drop. So much that in one point he looks at his followers and he goes, are you leaving too? Because it required such a commitment and consecration, this lifestyle that he was calling them to. It was not just picking up loaves and fish and 12 baskets left over and walking on water. It was not just that. It was persecuted by all men for my name's sake. You'll be hated by family. He starts to lay all these things out. He's like, all right, so that's the lesson for today. Let's keep going. And they're like, I have a question. My mom wants to know if I can be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, I mean, Jesus was just talking about how he had to go to the road to Calvary and get crucified. And they're like, I got a question about my boys. Can one of them, can these guys sit on your right and left hand? They'd be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Lord's like, you don't even know what you're asking for. You don't even know what you're asking for. Because then he says here, right in the beginning, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. See, it hadn't really started yet, so they're like, all right, sounds good. Kind of like if we're still around for some persecution, we can sit and listen to a message like this and say, yeah, no, amen, amen. But are we still here if the persecution starts? Jesus was trying to prepare them for what was on the horizon. We don't know what's on the horizon. And he goes on, he says, hey, blessed are the people who are persecuted. God blesses you when people mock you and pers persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things because you're my followers. Anybody ever had anyone say anything ugly or demeaning to you for your lifestyle commitment or consecration? Raise your hand if you have ever had someone question you for what you believe, what you wear, where you go, how often you go to church, what you give, the ministry you serve in. Take a look around. But Jesus says, hey, be happy about it. I just can't imagine when, you, when that happened in your life, did you come home and you and your spouse were like, I just had to tell you what happened work today this was awesome the whole office started talking down to me and treating me like garbage they all made fun of me about what I was wearing and the way I was talking and how I go to church every Sunday and they called me holy rural and this and that and it was it was incredible be happy about it be very glad I mean if this is the first message of the group I wonder if they're like I just went to the rabbi Pharisees lesson. He was talking about washing and cleansing and what to eat and what to wear. And you are, what in the world? I don't think they took attendance that day. But if I was a betting man, the average attendance for the next service was way down. 
still happens today when churches preach commitment and consecration, it affects attendance. He says, remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Every one of Jesus' disciples, Judas betrayed him. John, they tried to kill him. <laughs> he didn't die, so they threw him on the island of Patmos. Every other disciple died a martyr's death. I wonder if they knew that day when they listened to that. I just became a follower of Jesus. Check, I got my business cards made. Poor Peter, he had to have a second business. He finally got his... Simon one's made, and then they had, oh, and then now his name's Peter. He had, you'll get that joke later. My daughter says my jokes are getting worse as I get older. I wonder if they sat there at that first meeting, and I wonder if they sat there and they realized he's going to be filleted alive. He's going to be beheaded, beat to death with a club. Crucified upside down. Dragged to death. Spear thrown through him. Stoned. Man. There's a price to pay. But Jesus points out that their reward is not here. It's eternal. And maybe that's why he says, you don't know what you're asking when you're asking about a place of power in heaven. Because these guys were so special. Their names, they're, they're going to be engraved in the walls. They're going to have a special place. But he reminds them, they're going to be persecuted. It's been that way. Babies were killed in Egypt in the Old Testament. They were killed again in the Gospels by Herod. Prophets were murdered in the Old Testament. Apostles were killed in the, Old, in the New Testament. And people are still being killed today in other countries for their faith. Ungodly leaders led nations back then, and we still have plenty of ungodly leaders in our world today. And it's not like there is an Oh, man, there's an ungodly leader here and there and there and there and there. Really, I still have not yet heard about a lot of ungodly leaders worse than Herod. When you study history. And so he says, don't worry about the persecution. The reward's on the horizon. And it's more than this world could ever offer. So right after, as I close here tonight... Right after Jesus calls his disciples to follow him, he starts with the Beatitudes, life principles of the Sermon on the Mount that will continue next week. He starts with instructions on living a blessed life. And from what he lays out, I'm going to show you the eight things as we recap. Number one, realize and remember your need for him. And if I go too fast as I wrap this up and we close out, just email in. You can, if you have my contact information, great. If not, you can email info at refugechurchonline.com and we'll just send you the slides. But realize and remember your need for him. This is the recap of what he started with. The second thing. Remain humble. As God uses you and flows through you. 
It's his goal. He wants greater things you to do than he did. He wants that. If you want to inherit the earth, remain humble as he flows through you. Next, he says, in times of mourning, find comfort in the Holy Ghost. Anyone go through 2020? Was there ever a moment of mourning in your life? Times of mourning, people will walk up, well-meaning people, and say some of the dumbest things that a human being could say. <laughs> and you just have to smile. Thank you for that. In your mind, you're like, I think my hands are bitter on their throat. Sometimes the only peace and comfort can just be the Holy Ghost. And then he says, hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't know. I think there's room for improvement for all of us in this one. Are we righteous people? I think some of us are like, yeah, you know, do we want righteousness? Yeah. You want to be a righteous church? Yeah. But can I say, we as a collective whole, hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he says, hey, you better err on the side of mercy. Because one day you're going to need it. It's so easy. We could make lists of what people have done to us recently. She did this, she did this, he did that. She did, do you know how they treated me? Do you know? We could, oh, we, we're good. We can make the list. Then somebody says, well, you know what you do to me? Oh, I didn't mean anything by it. No, you took it that way. Oh. In other words, what are we saying? Please give me mercy. I'm not going to give it to you, but I'm asking you to give it to me. I pray daily that God would help me to see the best in people. And use me to bring out the best in people. I pray it because it doesn't come naturally. Because we're cynics by human nature sometimes. We see that and we question what they meant and what they did. And we say, God, help me to see the best in people. And use me to bring out the best in people. And the whole world's a better place. And then he says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. That doesn't mean don't let anybody in. It means just look out. We're going to talk more about this next week. How, how can we guard our heart? Well, what's, some doesn't, it's not like open heart surgery. Things don't get in by cutting your chest open. How does it get in your heart? out of this flows the issues of life and he says work for peace in the physical realm and attack in the spiritual realm church 
the way we, and I'm, again, you want to do a peaceful protest? Fine, go do it. I'm not talking against for any of that. I'm just, what I'm saying is you want to make a, an internal difference? It's, you want to go hold a sign somewhere? Fine. But that's not where the eternal difference is going to happen. It's going to be where you say, I'm going to enter into the spiritual realm. And I'm going to go into places where I begin to take authority in the name of Jesus. I begin to develop my prayer life. I begin to just daily that God will know who I am and I will find power. Well, then they see the, the believers, they just try to go cast out demons, do all this. And they say, hey, this kind comes not that but by prayer and fasting. So we want to have that kind of authority where we can say, that I'm, I'm in the physical realm. No, no, no. That's not where I'm attacking. I'm going to the spiritual realm. But in order to do that, I have to be a person of prayer and fasting. And then lastly, he says, when persecution comes, what you need to remember, this world is not our home. This world is not our home. We always want to say, well, God will provide, and God will deliver, and God will do this, and God will do that. Look at Hebrews 11, and they were the hall of faith, and this person went to here, and that person went to there, and this person went to there. And you know what? When you read through the rest of the chapter, it tells you about a whole bunch of people, too, that did not get to experience, that did not get to see, that God did not deliver. So Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, did God let them down? No way. It's just that we get so consumed with the earthly things that we forget. If God chooses to have me be gone today, then you know what? Cry a little bit at the funeral, but at the end of the day, get back and say, I gotta do something. God's called me to do this. I was just at the funeral. My brother Robert Homan, pastor, uh, just we, we, had the, we had the funeral in Rala. He was on our North American Missions Committee and just died. Brother Parkey got up and said something so profound. He said, God spoke to me and said, this is a soldier of the Lord. And what do we do with soldiers? And some of you, James, you've served. You know this better than anybody. You honor the fallen. Comfort the family. And continue fighting. And if we're in the army of the Lord, a funeral, you honor the fallen, you comfort the family, and you continue the fight. Why? I can take, Paul says, comfort one another with these words. What words? That this isn't the last time you're going to see this person. This world's not my home. No doubt we just went through eight different things that he gave at these Beatitudes. I invite you to stand to your feet. Chances are you don't remember all eight things. Chances are all eight things did not speak to you. But as we begin to approach an altar, Brother Jim, he'll just kind of cycle through those eight things again. And there's probably one or two or three of them that really impacted, pulled at your heartstrings. You felt the conviction of God. You felt something where God just kind of was dealing with you on that thing. And just begin to find a place to pray and talk to God about whatever that thing is. Because we're getting ready. Hey, you want to follow me? You want to be used to me? 
Here's where we're going to start. And I believe God is speaking the same thing to his church tonight as we find a place to pray.